0: We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Hello and welcome to The Interruption with Chandra Naya, the Global Institute for Tomorrow podcast. Now, today's episode is going to be slightly different, actually. We're going to hear a short story by Chandran. That's a good anecdote for how some worldviews dominate others and how speaking out is actually seriously important. It's a short autobiography, actually, so you'll get to find out a bit more about the man himself. So, without further ado... Take it away, Chandra
1: No, thank you. so what I thought I'd share is something that um, almost uh, by accident uh, I began to uh, speak about at uh, at an event a few years ago where i found uh, rather I found myself uh, irritated both um, questioning the wisdom of so-called uh, thought leaders in the world. Mm. Uh, invariably, they tend to be Westerners. That is not to say you can't have Western thought leaders, but I was questioning why is it that particularly I, this was at a forum I was on geopolitics uh, in Singapore, uh, where we had leaders from different parts of the world. But the question about Southeast Asia and what is happening in Southeast Asia. Uh, was being addressed by the American ambassador, and I thought, how odd that someone like that would speak about Southeast Asia, invariably deny the truth about the Vietnam War, the crimes that were committed, uh, and yet everyone would go away saying, well, this is is the truth. And uh, so it brought to my mind uh, a lot of questions about why is it there's no Southeast Asian speaking here? Why, if there were Southeast Asians there, why no one would say anything? And um, then at the height of the Iraq War, which is about now about uh, 15 years ago, I was also very surprised by how the depiction of what was going on in the Middle East, uh, and the world, and Islam, etc., was constantly being framed through the lens of people like Tony Blair, etc., who, as far as I could tell, Uh, probably never met a Muslim person till he became a diplomat, Uh, never met a Chinese person, or at least, I'm sure, never knew anyone as a good friend, and was not culturally immersed in any of these things. And then, of course, George W. Bush screwed the world up, but apparently was going to solve a big problem in the world. And I thought, my God, uh, why do these people speak for the world because they did speak about the coalition of the willing as though they spoke for the world. So I came up with something what I called uh, which I'll share with everyone uh, called uh, I beg your pardon. Uh, I have a different worldview. And I'm our and I think this applies to all of us from different parts, but who are silent. Yet we allow uh, particularly during that era, the Anglo-Saxon leaders from the US, UK, etc to describe the world to us. Yet they have no experience of the world. George W. Bush had never traveled outside the United States. So I think I'm more qualified and we should speak up. The problem is why don't we speak up? Uh, And I talked about, I've talked about this in previous podcasts about the subservience of the mind of the previously colonized and the tyranny of English. But in terms of why my worldview is different, particularly if I'm addressing it to uh, a more Western audience or or an audience that is purely Chinese or Indian, from Indian China, um, because I come from a very multicultural background, so it goes something like this. Um, So I was born in a Hindu household, uh, got up at 6 a.m., and uh, we lit the lamp at home, and I prayed to gods that looked like uh, elephants, uh, monkeys, And um, I never questioned it. And uh, I was uh, told to pray to those gods. And it was actually a nice discipline. It gives us uh, some kind of rooting in culture, etc. But that was my upbringing. Hindu household uh, with prayers in the morning before going to school. And and I even uh, prayed in a language I didn't understand a word of can Sanskrit. But, you know, as I say, I was cool with that. That's, uh, that's the upbringing. And and that also had a lot of, uh, uh, created a lot of uh, discipline, and rules, etc. And then at about seven, we'd go to school. And uh, I went to a missionary school. And I found myself being taught by strange white men in uh, long, uh, or at least managed the schools, by white men in uh, white gowns with then some Asian teachers. But we all learned to say the Lord's Prayer, you know, and they told me that God was uh, blonde, white, and blue-eyed. And I was fine with that too. Uh, So this enabled us to be tolerant, uh, understanding of different religious beliefs. No one questioned it. And um, of course, later I found out this guy was actually not so white it was actually probably an Arab, uh, probably didn't speak English, as they kind of made us feel that they, he spoke English. And, um, and maybe even a fictitious character, but who cares, you know, fairy tales. So, but we, we just went with it, and we respected all of those things. I learned the Lord's Prayer, and all of those things. No questions asked. At peace with two different uh, religions yeah uh embracing them within the space of an hour in the on the same day right no contradictions so that creates a great amount of flexibility and tolerance and openness of the mind uh, and then during the day of course uh, these these uh these uh, missionary tier, uh, headmasters and uh, missionaries uh, had a strange uh, fondness for caning little boys on their backsides, <laughs> um which we didn't question then either uh, neither the Hindu scriptures nor the the Christian ones told us about this thing, uh, but uh, I I think now we understand that the Pope's kind of looking into it. Uh, why why they have a particular fetish for little boys? But setting that aside, um, then you go home and we lived very close to uh, a mosque next to a camp. And we pass the the masjid and go into the masjid and. Uh, Get sweets, etc., and then go home. And uh, until today, the call for prayer, the the Muslim call for prayer, in my world view, is probably the most spiritual call. So, wherever I go in the world today, I like to stay in Muslim countries. I like to stay next to the mosque. So, here's a Hindu boy, uh, went to a, a Christian school, but also likes the azan. Is it called the azan? I think and the call for prayer. So till today, I love it. And I look at the nuance, I I look out for the nuances with a different sound for call for prayer. And whether I'm in Iran, Turkey, uh, Abu Dhabi, Indonesia, or in India, I love the call. I wait for the call at the the 7 p.m. And if I'm staying next to a hotel where they pray at five o'clock, I'm not complaining to the hotel hotel manager because I understand. Uh, It's a respect for what the culture is. Um, and so even with that, I have uh, great respect for all the religions. And therefore, when I see young men from the Muslim faith with long gowns and skull caps and beards and with a rucksack, I don't walk on the other side. I am not uh, fearful. They are my brothers. You know, so I am happy to say, as I know their religion. I do not think of the stereotype of uh, which has become now a stereotype of uh, every Muslim being potentially a fundamentalist. I have great respect for them. So that's a different worldview again. And then in the evenings, uh, we'd all go uh, to the Chinese uh, coffee shop and uh, have our steam buns or cha siu pao. And here's a young Indian Hindu brought up in a Christian school, and we all learned to eat with chopsticks at the age of four or five. So I was brought up with Chinese people. And so today when I see Chinese, I'm not like the average American, thinking here are the uneducated hordes coming over to take over our civilization and feeling threatened. I see people who are hardworking, come from an ancient civilization, have a, have a tremendous work ethic, and uh, are very respectful of the whole traditional learning, etc. So, having said that, um, you know, I wanted to say that So, people like us, uh, in this few minutes that I've described, uh, and this is not just me, there are mm. many who have this experience, uh, we have a very different worldview. We have a worldview which is more embracing. Of course, there are parts of the world where we're actually going backwards. So even in Malaysia today, um, I'm not sure if I can go to the mosque because some guy might say, Haram, this is going backwards. But traditionally, this has always been, it's been my experience. So I have um, a worldview that has been shaped by that of religions, cultures, and at time that we talk about uh, the clash of civilizations, people like us understand. We are more tolerant of the differences in everyone, and it's almost uh, embedded in the way we think and we behave. It's almost automatic. So my I beg your pardon is essentially uh, a question to foreign experts, particularly from the West, who try to describe the whole world to us, and particularly the world of the four major religions and cultures that I describe, Hinduism, Christianity, Islam, Taoism, Buddhism, where none of these people had any of these experiences and nor lived within situations where they had to exercise tolerance and live with others. So how dare they tell us what the world looks like? The sad part is, why are we all quiet? So I beg your pardon, I have a different worldview. That's why I share it. And I want many more young people to understand, to immerse themselves in the other, get to know the other and don't be afraid you might actually uh, learn something but one thing I can guarantee if you immerse yourself in the other, you will be richer for it. you will find things that you could not understand. but if you immerse yourself in just your own thing, for sure you will be poorer. so I beg your pardon. thank you. Any questions?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Um, so there's a day in the life of Chandra Naya, um, although I can tell you now he's a bit older. The days don't get any less busy. They're still as eventful, that's for sure. Um, thank you for sharing, Chandran. You've centred your discussion there around four religions. That was the, the pillar of it and the different cultures that surround it. So is the solution to expanding your worldview, exposing yourself? Is it as simple as that?
1: Well, it's not as simple to ourselves, and I think I also just want to clarify, you said that was a day in my life. I think it's more about it was what my day, our days looked like, and yet we subconsciously were immersed in Mm. this extremely rich um, life, but until we were older, we couldn't completely understand yeah, yeah. what it is. And in my, my point of view, that realization came you know, 34 years later, but in the context of the geopolitical discussions of the last 20 years, why are we allowing ourselves to be influenced by the ideas, the ideologies of people who do not have our same exposure to differences and our greater tolerance for others why then within our societies why are we letting people with extreme views hijack our the opportunity for us to immerse in a, in the other so to your your point um is the exposure yeah. important? Well, exposure has different levels. I mean, someone today like me who's privileged, I have the opportunity to expose myself. And even with that uh, opportunity and that privilege, there is still the curiosity. Mm. Okay, so But I am privileged at this point in my life to be able to go. For those who are not so privileged, and that's the majority of the world, exposure means something else. Exposure means willing to expose yourself to the ideas, the lifestyles of the neighbor who is different. It could be someone who comes from a different race. It could be someone who comes from a different religious background. It could be someone who has different uh, value systems. It could be someone who appreciates even just different types of food and immersing in. So, that exposure is very different. So, all of us uh, are restricted. But clearly, those of us who have exposure to new ideas because of our education, and then depending on our economic status, have exposure that extends our geographical sort of exposure then we're the lucky few. Mm. But the danger in these conversations like this is, and I want to make it very clear, is the assumption that most people can travel and go to all these countries. Most people can't do this, and it's okay. The exposure, the mindset I'm talking about is the mindset of no matter where you live, being exposed to the other who's in your vicinity, and then being exposed to new ideas. Now, not all of us will have uh, tutors, or parenting that allows us to expose ourselves. In fact, a lot of parenting today is, you know, people who do not necessarily uh, have uh, their exposure themselves to allow the next generation to expose themselves. So I, I, I think it's fundamentally getting this idea around that. Uh, it's not about simply exposing yourself through social media to things, which is what people think about, yeah. uh, because those things, in are uh, I would call a lot of social media is anti-exposure because we know what search engines do. So they drive you to a cul-de-sac. Eventually, you drown in the cesspool of mindless ideas of the people who think like you, mm. right? That's not exposure, but exposure is a, very, it's a, it's a mindset. And then aided by your curiosity and your economic uh, status to essentially go and touch and feel and get into things, uh, depending on uh, how easy that is for you. But economics plays a very important part in this.
0: Yeah, sure. And it's a word that's, that's been running through a lot of what you said is immersion. So why is it that beyond exposure, you need to immerse yourself in something that's different?
1: Well, because, um, you know, you can expose yourself by just being an observer. Yeah. Right? But the best immersion, is, the best exposure is when you go and feel it. I mean, the, a good example is food. Right? Um, I know so many people, uh, even in a multicultural society like, um, like uh, say, in Malaysia, mm. where you have um, uh, some of the best... Uh, opportunities to taste and live with uh, the foods from the the great cultures of the world. You can have Chinese, Malay, Indian, European food, and everything in between. Mm. There's very few places in the world you can do that. But I still know people who, you know, only want to eat Indian food. (laughs) Right? I know Malays who only want to eat Malay food, or a variation. So then, it, it, they they don't have an ex- exposure. But once you go and try it, which is the majority of people uh, in a multicultural society, then they get a taste for those different things. So food is you got to get a taste for it. But similarly, if you want to understand a culture, watching it on TV is a form of exposure. Mm. That's but observing. That's observing, and you you know you could. Uh, give it some credit. At least you're interested to watch. Some people don't even want to watch. They turn it off because it's not, you know, it's not pop music. Uh, But going to the concert, going to the performance, not in a concert hall, but going to the village, taking the time to get there, three hours, and staying there for four hours and watching it, that's a different immersion. So that if you go to Indonesia, there are performances of the Wayang Kulit, the shadow plays, which can take four or five hours. Most of us these days do not even think we have the time to immerse in all of that. And so immersion is essentially a test of who you are, how much observational skills you have to digest rather than something superficial. I'm just going to watch. So there's different levels of immersion. And I lived in Africa, and I, I'll just finish by saying I immerse myself in every time I had an opportunity to go somewhere, mm. and I used to take some risk. And I'm not t- talking about you know uh, death risk, but I used to take risks. I used to go places I had never been before because I would, wanted to immerse myself. Yeah. I wanted to feel the dust. I wanted to taste the food, uh, as awkward it is, as it was to me, yeah. and I wanted to be there. And you know what? Nine out of ten times, I had an extraordinary experience. Yeah, it,
0: it is Something I could
1: never imagine. Yeah. You know, could ne- but people plan too much, don't take risks, and they do the banal. Mm. And, and that is the difference. Watching TV and Netflix is not exposure. It's kind of like killing your brain. <laughs> Go out there and, and get immersed, get dirty, smell it, feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And then get comfortable.
0: And then get comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. Yes. That's right. Yeah. So we've moved from the anecdote that Chandran gave earlier about, about how his life used to be and the exposure and the immersion that that's given him to how being spoon fed culture is a shortcut and actually spending the time.
1: To yeah. I mean, I can give I can give one final example. Sure. You know, I like to go to markets. For me, that's immersion. I am not interested in the shopping mall. I mean, being there, boring, what can you get? So whenever I go to a, a town, a city, a town, as busy as I am, I try and carve out one hour to rush to the market. And I'm so excited.
0: (laughs) Speaking of carving out that hour, guys, Chandran is actually about to head to a market. We're in Jakarta. So that's all we've got time for. Thank you very much again, Chandran. If you're interested in the future of sustainability, please check out our content on the GIFT website. That's www.global-inst.com. We also have a Facebook page, so please send along your questions and we'll answer them in our Q&A section just search for the interruption with Chandra Naya
1: we return you now to your regularly scheduled program we don't need no-